I'm Jesse Parker. And I'm Tommy Niblack. Jesse and I are super excited to share with you episode seven of The The Faith Faith Chair. Where we ask questions that arise at the intersection of faith and culture. And on today's episode, we're going to tackle the topic of women in ministry. I hope you're ready. Let's get into it. Yo, good morning. It is the faith chair. We're back with another installment of this episode eight. Oh, sorry. And you know who this is. Pastor Reverend Apostle Bishop Tate Jesse. Wow. Jesse Parker. And we are joined today with his lovely better half. Um, If you're married, you know that your wife pretty much makes you better. Uh, So here is his better half, Genesis. Does anybody ever tell you guys that it's hard to say y'all's names? Or it's easy to remember your names because it sounds the same. I think it's easy and kind of nice right. Yeah. That's why that's why you're waiting. That's why you're running. You know what? Well it typically is Genesis and Jesse. She usually is the you know right. Most people don't mean that Genesis, Genesis. Yes. I'm about to start putting that on my like my tax. Right, right. Like also known as do you have any like other names? She is here and she is going to uh, join our conversation about women in ministry. Uh, also, she is an amazing vocalist, amazing worship leader, um, and uh, she's just dope all the way around. So, and pastor. And pastor. She is a pastor, which is why she's here to help us uh, have this conversation with women. Either one of you guys to start us off. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll kick it off. Uh, I think uh, this conversation is important because uh, women in ministry is probably, you have to think, I mean, other, other than the stuff we've seen in the Bible, there's overall understanding of the gospel and eradicating sin in our lives and living righteously. I think women in ministry is the longest running, the uh, most contentious. In the church from, from day one until today, continues to a lot of denominations and these traditions that allow women in places of ministry outside of like children's ministry. Um, so, administration. administration, yeah, administration, yeah. Um, you know, it's some, you know, obviously, there's lots of places that have this gray area in terms of worship, um, but uh. So we're gonna we're gonna kind of dive into that. We're gonna talk about where that idea comes from. Uh, we're gonna talk about the ways that that has been debunked in terms of biblical study and some of the other ways. For me, I will try to be. Well, I will try to be. Uh, I'll try to be nice. <laughs> this is a topic that annoys the crap out of me. Pastors that are like, no, I won't allow a woman to preach in my church. I won't be under a woman, all that stuff like that. So we're talking about all that. Um, I'll be upfront at the beginning, uh, and my wife knows this. I uh, 
I struggle with this concept not from a viewpoint of whether or not women should be in ministry. I still struggle intellectually with some of the uh, explanations of the two primary scriptures. Um, they, they, they employ some you know, deep contextual analysis that, that I struggle with sometimes. But I don't struggle from the point of like my heart and my experience. Right. And we'll touch on why that's we'll touch on why that's important too. Um, but uh, meaning, meaning whether they can or whether they can't. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Um, so I'm like I'm not totally settled intellectually in the explanations, um, and so I continue to kind of try to do my own research. I, I think there's maybe there's more there than just the historical context of those verses. Yeah. And. Uh, and what I what I call like biblical gymnastics, we got to jump through a whole bunch of hoops to try to give a passage something other than its plain face meaning. Yeah. Um, and yet I know that that is true because of what I've experienced, and um, in my heart, and again, a big part of that experience is being married to yeah. my wife and seeing how God uses her and speaks to her and teaches me through her and, and all those different things. So there's never a time where you're like speaking to somebody and the pastor and the leader within her arises and like, excuse me, let me just let me just talk about it. And you're like, oh, I was talking. But because she's a she's got that gift, uh, she feels compelled. And I think that's where a lot of guys will struggle with that is when oh how why can God give them a revelation that's seemingly more deep or better than mine? You know what I'm saying? Have you ever felt like that? No, actually, oftentimes she's, she's the one talking or, or speaking to the people and then she's looking at me like, baby, you want to jump in here anytime? Yeah. And I'm like, nah, I don't have anything to add. You got it. <laughs> that's my son. She is, she is more frustrated with that than like, uh, I thought we said we were going to take some this. You're killing it right now, so there's no need for me to jump in. I, I am, my wife will tell you, I'm not someone who wastes my words. Um, and so I don't feel like there's a reason for me to say something. I'm not going to say it just for the sake of being a part of the conversation. Like, if it's being covered, then I'm always going to cover it. Well, that's... I love what you just said because being covered, I'm gonna let somebody covered. Yeah. Regardless, if it's a woman, man, child, it was a, it was a child. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, go ahead. Read some stuff. I was just gonna say, uh, you want to kick off maybe with just some of your experiences growing up in a religious background that you grew up in, and just how you progressed through the process of not knowing that we call it. Sure. Um, so I grew up in church, kind of the same story as Jesse, very similar. I grew up in a traditional Samoan church, um, and so my language, my native language was primarily what was spoken. It was a Pentecostal church, so a lot of the theology, ideologies, customs, traditions were all based off of the Pentecostal denomination. Um, so growing up, you know, I saw women serving in the capacity, at least even within my own family, who 
was very, very faithful in serving the church and serving the Lord. Um, was always in more of like a service background capacity. So, you know, setting up chairs, preparing food for events, different things like that. But, you know, as I older and I began to really think about you know, is this my own faith or is this just what I believe because my family believes? I started to look at that. I started to wonder where is the presence of women in ministry? Um, now, I knew that in the church growing up, I saw women, they would help with, again, administration type things, but, you know, children's ministry. But I don't ever remember or recall seeing a woman up there preaching the word or giving the message. I do know that women were allowed to serve as deacons, um, but in terms of seeing like a lead female pastor or a senior pastor who was a female, I, just, I never saw that growing up. And so I don't think I ever thought of myself as capable or called to do that. Um, and so that whole time your grandma was telling yeah. But my, that whole time, yeah, my, that whole time, even when I was acting out, you know, as I went through my teenager years, I remember my grandma would always tell me, like, you're called to this, like, God's hand is on your life. And so to hear that but not see yourself represented was extremely difficult because how can you imagine yourself beyond what you know when you don't see it? Representation is everything. So, um, you know, just went through this whole season of truly committing my life to Jesus at 15. Um, and then one of the first things I knew right away was that I was going to have to leave my traditional church. So not just because of the representation factor, but just because I knew that faith has to be my own. I couldn't just believe because this is what my family told me. I had to follow Jesus for myself. And so one of the first steps I took was to join a local church um, that had a very vibrant, strong youth ministry so I could connect to it. Um, but then begin to leave the traditional church, which was huge, huge for me at the time. Uh, and it wasn't that's, a, that's, not, that's just not what no, happens. That's not what you do. Yeah. No, it's not. You are born there, you stay there, you die there. Like that's just kind of how it, it went. And you know, mind you, there were there were great things that I learned there. But for me, just to grow, I knew that that wasn't going to be the place. It's like that, and not in black culture too. Yeah, yeah, and it's tough, right? Because there's the other aspect of these are literally family. Like, right. This is biological right. family. Right. And this is what you grow up in. This is all that you know. So it is like your first venture out of home. Um, and so uh, thank, thank God, you know, through the Holy Spirit, so many things happened in that time. And it actually happened that uh, my family ended up leaving with me. Um, and we all ended up attending a different church, and that's really the first time I ever saw a woman in a leadership capacity. Okay. And that was the church where I had met Jesse. Um, they actually had, you know, the pastor's wife, and she was also called pastor. We referred to her as pastor. Um, they were equal. Um, she led worship along with her daughter, and she would preach the word. Her daughter would, you know, do different service elements. And so that was kind of the first time I was like, whoa, this could actually be a thing. Um, and so, you know, fast forward many, many years, and just understanding and recognizing the fruition of my grandmother's prayers and just even the prophetic word that she would speak over me in those really tough seasons of being a teenager and fall away from the Lord. She would always tell me the Lord's hand is on you. Uh, and part of what, part of this conversation goes back to the conversation that really affirmed that Jesse and I were going to be together. Um, the woman, the prophetess, which I still believe that very much the Lord speaks to his people. 
the Lord very much will speak to us if we intercede. And, and he did. He spoke to a prophetess. And um, she tried to tell me I was in a relationship at the time that really wasn't God glorifying. And um, she, he wasn't always in the picture. No, 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 he wasn't. Oh, 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 he fell into the picture. No. I know, it seems like you're right. But one of the prophetic words and the reason why she was so adamant about letting me know was um, she the word was God has someone for you. And alone your ministry will be powerful because you're anointed. But together the both of you will be dynamic. He will come and cover you spiritually and you'll strengthen him in his weakness. Wow. And so just the fact that God acknowledged the fact like, yes, you can, you are anointed, you are called. I have a gift for you, but there's somebody who's going to come and work with you. You're going to labor together. That affirmed in me the fact that, yeah, I'm called, but God has something. And so why would God say things like that if I wasn't called to ministry? Why would God call me? Why would there be this passion and this, this anointing for ministry if I wasn't called to do that, if I was just called to stay silent in the church? I think, and I think a lot of women feel that exactly why would God call me why would I feel like this and not be able to do anything about it exactly exactly and I felt like that too so I get that and so um again fast forward I meet Jesse and evidently clear by the fruit right that's how it's supposed to be known is by the fruit um God has borne many fruits through our ministry together um, and where there was much doubt that I was called to ministry, that women should be able to be ministers, right. there's no more. <laughs> and a lot of that, you know, we can, you know, exegete the scripture, we can talk about the contextual scriptures that most people use as an argument against women ministry. And I know for Jesse, he hasn't settled in that. And that's okay, you know. I think there's a place for, as believers, we have to be able to wrestle that through with scripture, right? We want to make sure that we are discerning the word properly. We don't want to just be using scripture out of context and for our own convenience and for our own arguments. Why not? <laughs> that's a whole other podcast. But we truly want the Holy Spirit to illuminate the word so that it becomes alive to us and we understand its correct meaning. We're able to discern that. Um, but the very arguments against women in scripture, when you look at it contextually, culturally, what it was written for at this time, all of that to me proves it's just the simple fact that Jesus used women yep. so powerfully. I mean, every argument that I've heard sure against is. women in ministry, you can turn it right around and look for the proof of it in the scripture. In the Old Testament and New, I've heard that too. Well, you know, that's all New Testament. You can't just throw the Old Testament, you know. And then, like, the first like the first thing that comes to my mind is Rahab. <laughs> you know, as a woman in the Old Lord. Testament that the Lord was using. You know, Rahab, Esther, Shepherd, all, all these women, Hannah, right. um, that God used powerfully. Ruth. Yeah, Ruth. There's so many different women. And then you can go to the New Testament. Um, and so, you know, that's just kind of the, sh- the long and short of it. Yeah. Um, well, here's, and Jesse's going to get, he's not going to get mad. We've talked about this a lot. He's going to get... He's going to make me pay my fine. Is what he's going to do. As I'm about to mention, Anne Sandler. <laughs> <laughs> I, oh, I forgot to say her in the intro. <laughs> no Andy Sandler. And no Andy Sandler. So um, I, I think when we when we first mentioned that we were going to talk about this a while back, um, uh, I, I mentioned this to you. I was 
I just started reading that book by Andy Stanley, Irresistible. And in it, I'm just going to cut to the chase and then I'll explain. In it, he says this phrase. Um, well, he says this. He helps us to uh, understand scripture by looking through this filter. And the filter is maybe we shouldn't say the Bible says. Maybe we should say, maybe we should ask ourselves instead, what does love require of me? The reason why he said that is because uh, after Jesus, uh, when Jesus came after he, after he left and left the Holy Spirit with us, the command he gave us was to love each other exactly how he loved us, which is to sacrifice for each other. All the stuff that came after that, all the letters that Paul wrote and different things, he was just trying to help those different churches that were started, those different bodies, do things in an orderly fashion. Um, they were examples to learn from, not examples to live by. So our question for today is not necessarily what does the Bible say about it, but what does love require of us? If you love your sister in Christ, if you love your brother in Christ, don't put out their shine. If God has called them to the ministry. Like, if you love them, and we're supposed to love each other like Christ loved us, which is sacrifice, and I think a lot of preachers, a lot of pastors, don't want to sacrifice that spot. You know what I'm saying? They're afraid to sacrifice, or they're going to like them better. Who cares? Yeah. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, we don't, we don't, we really don't have time to go through that whole, I love how Joyce Myers talks about how her husband supports her. Yeah. In ministry, like, he has no, um, qualms about people wanting to call, you know, calling her to, to come speak. It's like, go. That's amazing. Yeah. As long as I came for my ticket, I can play golf. Yeah, I come too. I think, I think that's, that is the kind of at the core of my struggle with um, the explanations of those two patterns. Yeah. Um, because if, if we're going to be able to trust the Bible, then the Bible has to be the inerrant word of God. Right? It has to be inspired by the Holy Spirit um, without any errors. Otherwise, how can we trust what it says? about who Jesus was, about who God is, about history, about any of that, right? And so then, you know, again, it's, it's said, it gives a warning to anyone who would change any aspect of it to have it, a job or, or anything, right? And so every time, anytime I look at a passage, I have to realize this was included by God. This was inspired by the Holy Spirit, and this was included when many other things weren't, right? There's lots of other letters, uh, there's other books uh, that weren't uh, considered canon. Um, and so it was all, all with purpose. And so then I had to ask myself, well, what was the purpose of God including this? So there has to be something to it more than just what was happening in the immediate context. Because there were many letters written to those churches for their immediate context that didn't, that weren't accepted by the Holy Spirit. And I believe, again, I believe that the the councils that decided what was going to be in the Bible versus what wasn't were also guided by the Holy Spirit. Um, and so, you know, why were why was that letter included with those mandates when other things weren't? Well, check this out. 
something to add to, I think we should all be able to add things like this to our thought process. And um, I, I, I had the privilege of speaking the week before you spoke at youth uh, oh, yeah. at, at the church. And I talked about worship being more than just weekly, you know, like we were all talking about. But the title was Recalculating. And the word recalculate literally means to calculate with new data, right? So we can't we can't look at a situation and call it recalculating by using the old data and coming up with the same or trying to get a different answer, right? So we have to, as believers, recalculate. We have to throw out the old data and put in new data so we can get a different result or different understanding. Because the way we think about stuff is the way we talk about it. The way we talk about it is the way we act on it. Um, so when we say scripture is in, is inerrant, or, or God's word is inerrant, God's word, I had this conversation with another pastor, God, literally speaking, there's nothing, nothing, there's no error in his words. There's no error in his words, right? God inspiring a word is completely different. Why is it different? Because if you inspire me, if you guys inspire me, and I write a song, you didn't write it. I wrote it based on what I saw from you. Right? The word inspire doesn't mean direct. We, just like we think, we, we, we connect singing to worship. It's not connected. Like we connect, we're connecting inspire with direct, and inspire is not direct. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah. The word that the words that were written in the collection of stories called the Bible, a lot of it is God's direct word. The majority, the rest of it, is inspired by what happened in a relationship and walking out of a relationship with God. Those words are inerrant in a lot of ways. Mainly, they don't let your woman speak in church, or having slaves, or uh, um, like Peter and Paul had an argument over, hey, because of Jesus, we don't, the, the new converts don't have to be circumcised anymore. Why are you still putting that on people? You know what I'm saying? And, and uh, so a lot of it was, was the custom of the day, like like uh, like I said, it's examples to learn from, not to live by. Because you have to remember, it's inspired. My story, your story, Jesse's story can inspire somebody to do something, but it is not direct from Jesse. It's not direct from you. It is an inspiration that they saw, that they heard, that caused them to do something. Um, so when people say. Um, and this could be the, 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 so people say the, the word of God talking about the Bible is inerrant. I, I personally think they're in error because they're not understanding completely what the word of God is. Is it the word from God? Which is definitely inerrant because God speaking is nothing, there's no error in his words. But if, if it's the word of because from and of are two different things. Yeah. We have we have to we have to look at 
involved from a point of view of really love trumps all of that. Like when Jesus said, look, look guys, talk to the Pharisees, look guys, all that stuff my father put in place before me. Now I'm here, all you gotta do is love to the point of sacrifice. Love to the point of sacrifice. And I, for me, and this may not be something that you or anybody else like grasps today or that becomes a revelation for. Um, to me, that's the that's the deal breaker when it comes to this is what I read. You know what I'm saying? Because it, it was inspired by somebody who was walking with God. Walking out their relationship with God. Like we are all walking out our relationship with relationship with God. I can write something and say, um, this is what God told me. And it could be for me, it could be for everybody else. You know what I'm saying? That there's a, those two those two sides. So I don't know. That's and this is uh, I have I have a personal conviction about that. Um, and I'm just sharing. Yeah. Uh, but, you know what I'm saying? I'm not trying to make anybody believe this. I'm not trying to make you believe this, Jesse, or anything like that. It's just when you're re- when you're recalculating and trying to get a hold of something that don't necessarily understand we have to put in new information yeah. to get a different uh, or better or broader more broad understanding uh, than what we previously had before uh, I hope that makes sense yeah that makes sense to me I think this is the part of ministry especially ministering to a, a new generation you know we work heavily with young people youth young adults and I think this is one of the questions that continues to come up, and it's a hot topic of discussion amongst people who grew up in the church, too. What is scripture and what was culture and tradition of man that get interwoven with scripture but passed off as gospel? Right. Because right. there's a lot of that. And the truth is, like we were saying, there's the word of God, the word that literally comes from God, the word he speaks. That is inherent, but then there's the measure of I've read this, I've interpreted it this way, but right. now I'm passing it off as right. this is gospel, right, this right, is right. the word of the Lord. Right. Is that really the word of the Lord, or was that looked at through your lens of context, right. experience, tradition, culture? Right. You know, you have to take all of that into account. And so to me, that makes sense, you know, because I sit with uh, a lot of young women. Um, it's funny, God has really surrounded us. Um, in some in some ways, even to I think not just test, but to uh, affirm and remind me of the call. You know, I've struggled with it for many years. A lot of it has nothing to do with scripture; it just has to do with me really uh, stepping into that place where I'm like, okay, God, you know, I am called. Um, but in this couple of seasons of life that we've been in you know I'm surrounded by young women and so God has really challenged me personally as a, as a leader as a minister as a pastor you can't preach what you're not living hey you can't answer questions from me in which you have to put the time in which we need to find out um, but there was a conversation we had and there's a young woman that I respect so dearly and she's like look it's the old, it's like the age old conversation. I, I am cool with God. I believe in God. It's just his people.
people have done such a great job of making them look really ugly. And one of the things that she kept bringing up is she's like, the Bible to me, she's like, is if I read it in the way that she, everyone has told me, that there is no mistakes in the Bible, that means that being owning slaves is fine, raping your own daughters is fine, yes, it's misogynistic, it's all these things. And you want me to say that that's okay? Right. That there's a God who loves us so deeply that he would be completely okay with that because that's how he prefers things? Right. And so you sit there and you're like, Zin, did you just tell me that? You know, and, and that's the kind of wrestles we have as pastors. And even for her with me, one of the reasons why we have been so tight is because she's like, I love seeing a woman of color in ministry. Yeah. I love that you are pastor. She's like, every time I sit with you, she's like, I don't want to not be able to receive from you because some man says that you're not called. Wow. Because somebody actually said that? Yeah, yeah. Many young people, but this young woman specifically, and I've been walking with her for many, many, many years. And so these are the questions that we have to ask ourselves. Now, like you said, Tommy, are we going to land on that answer right now, right. today? Right. Probably not. You know, sure. It's no um, mystery to me, or it's no surprise to me that Jesse feels the way he does. Yeah. But I'll also say that my husband is the most affirming person. There are spaces in which he walks in and he allows me to occupy them simply because he knows. I mean, we talked about the other day. The business, our personal business, yeah. is named after me, but people go to him. Right. Why? When people walk up to him, they'll call him pastor, and he'll say, "Well, my wife is a pastor too," right. and then that's an issue. Right. And so Jesse is one of the most affirming people to me, encouraging, completely believes in my call. But the scripture part of it is still a wrestle for him, and I'm okay with that. I'm not, I'm not mad or upset about that. But I think this is the place where we all have to begin to ask ourselves: Are we? Going off of what we know based on what we know, are we truly diving into those scriptures and asking God, give me the full picture? I need the full picture to be able to minister in this day and age. I want to be able to defend my faith. Apologetics. Apologetics, right. But it sounds to me that love is winning out. Exactly. Exactly. So, and I think, and I think that, I, you know, again, I want to be really clear about it. Like, my only struggle with this idea is is how to explain it to someone who's coming from just from that scriptural standpoint. I mean, I have the experiences that I have. Like, the explanations are out there with the context and historical stuff, and, you know, I understand all of that, and I believe it to be true, but it, it just doesn't settle with me completely. Right. Because I have a problem with using some of the context as a way to essentially erase the plain meaning in certain verses because because it's a slippery slope. When we start doing that with one, then we can start doing that with everything. And and that kind of manipulation of what the scripture says is dangerous to me. So I, I you know, that's why I said I'm still looking for that piece that I think is gonna like pull it all together for me. Um, and, but you know kind of the point I wanted to get to today too was you know we've mentioned this in other podcasts. Um, one of my great appreciations for John Wesley as a theologian was that he included experience as a part of his uh, exegetical, you know, process. Uh, it's called the, you know, the Free Methodist and other other denominations in the Wesleyan tradition called the Wesleyan Quadrilateral, um, where he essentially the idea is this: if 
if my study and interpretation of Scripture lands me on an idea, a theology um, of God and who we are, then that must be true. And therefore, I can see God and the people of God living that out in reality. And if I don't, then I need to go back and I need to question my premise, my theology. And that's where he brought experience into the into the fold. Like it's it's all great to have this idea of what verses mean and about these promises. We've talked about that with the, the health and wealth and naming and claiming and, and all these things. And the, and the problem with people who are taught that, who are raised in those kind of uh, traditions, spend time in them like my wife and I did, is that then you go out into the real world and you don't see those promises, those right. characteristics of God reign true. And I, right, so then you're left with one of two questions. Either my interpretation of Scripture is wrong, or God is not who He says He is. And since, you know, we don't want to go to the place of God is not who He says He is, because we believe in God, we've all had those experiences with God again to tell us He's true. Well, then what do my experiences tell me about women in ministry? My experiences tell me that God gives them, calls them, uses them. Right? Uh, they're dynamic teachers. They can be dynamic leaders. Uh, my wife has an ability with people that I would never have. You know, that's half of the reason why in a lot of situations and circumstances I just let her be the talking. Because she has a spirit of, of discernment and understanding of people. That it's just not something that is giving me. Right? And, and, she, she's an amazing teacher in her own right uh, and, and has revelation and insight into scripture um, that I don't have. Um, and I think that, that's another reason why it's important to have men and women in every level of church. Women are different from me. They do see things differently than we do. And so there's, the, there's I believe, entire aspects of God and scripture that we're not understanding and therefore not being able to religiously teach. Right, that's where keep telling women they have to keep the mouth shut. Right. That, that was the thing that I wanted to say that, that, that you said. We, God is never wrong. But we hear from him, misinterpret, and then teach from that misinterpretation. Yeah. Straight up. And he, he, he never is wrong. And we just don't understand. Yeah. And, 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 and if you read any commentary on this subject, it's always going to start in Genesis. It's going to start with the fact that even though women, <laughs> even though, even though women are created, were created Because if that interpretation is true, then how do you explain all the 
charge of David, which was going to kill uh, Moses' face. And his wife came out, that dude's wife came out, and stopped David from killing her husband. God used her to stop David. Yeah, it have sort of, yeah it's, all, it's all throughout Scripture. And so that larger context tells me I have to reevaluate my interpretation of these Scriptures. Right? That these cannot mean what they seem to mean on face value because that would not jive with the rest of Scripture. Right? And so, you know, for me, that's, again, my personal experience and the experience of the entire context of Scripture tells me that those Scriptures cannot mean, Paul did not mean what we think they yeah. Um, verses so that okay, let me reevaluate. Now my only struggle is that I haven't come to the full revelation of exactly what that three the defining of those two passages are. Yeah. I understand what they're talking, you know, all the, the teachings about the context, what was happening with the social the Roman socialites of the of the era, the women, you know, going out in public with their heads uncovered to show their superiority and questioning doctrine in the middle of church services, yeah. uh, and using the, the engine of the church as kind of like, oh, it's the new social fad. Yeah. Um, and using it for their own purposes and their own social status and all that kind of stuff. And that being kind of the genesis of these condemnations for Paul. Um, that it wasn't a point to say about women, but it was directly uh, speaking to those specific those things, things that, that were happening. Right. happening. And of course, there, there are larger principles to take from that because it's not like that's ever ended. You continue to have men and women who, who engage in those type of practices in the church, yeah. using them for their own gain, for their own uh, purposes, their own social status. Um, you know, we've talked about it like the whole, um, you know, forgive me guys, but like, you know, the Baptist tradition is where everyone shows up and it's a competition on who got the couple club will be at. Right. Like, you know, uh, you got the preachers and sneakers thing going on. You, got all, you know, whether it's gifted to you or not, it's right. like it's unseemly to come into church dressed to the nines uh, for social status. The Bible specifically right. condemns that, right? So it's not like that ever stops you happening, brother. right? And so, you know, those scriptures still have purpose and insight and um, um, application today. The idea behind it, when we understand the context, that it's not a blanket exclusive of women in ministry, but it's talking about those who are using the church for their own means. Now, I, now I, think, I think that those, that all of those things are blanketed in. Is it is it based? Is what your decision to do based on you sacrificing for the love that you have? Someone else. So what James is talking about, coming in dressed to the nines, uh, uh, solely for a social status. Like all those all those scriptures I think are cloaked in are you sacrificing for the love that you have for someone else? If you're not, like I love what um, I'm not gonna say anything, what Mark Driscoll said in his book <laughs> said in his book, uh, Doctrine. If you're not living for the glory of God and the joy of others, you're literally building your own plastic kingdom. Oh, I wish you would have quoted someone else, Tommy, because Mark Driscoll is not promotion, but I'm going to Oh, well, he's not. He's not. But that... <laughs> and hopefully... Maybe he is now. We don't know. Hopefully that statement changed his mind. I know it changed, it changed like, everything. About well, we're in the Northwest, y'all, you know that. That's we have a complicated relationship with Mark Driscoll. Look, but, but we pray for him, bless him, and I hope that where he's passionate now, he's doing 
know, and so what happens? Your right side of your body is working twice as hard as it's supposed to to try to drag your body along to do what it's supposed to do. Uh, you gonna have to repeat it. I, I, I hope there are some pastors watching because that statement, like you're working twice as hard trying to get your body to do. Right, and it's not just working twice as hard. You're working twice as harder. Twice as hard, harder than you were meant to. Than you were meant to, right? And because we're doing it, essentially, my contention is in, in disobedience to God in the Scripture. God's enabling in spirit and strength, power is not covering right. that extra work, and that's why we, we're burned out. That's why the church is ineffective. That's why we're not accomplishing what we're supposed to be accomplishing. That's why we're not seeing the church be the vibrant church that we see in the New Testament. Because you have this whole tradition. And look, we understand this. We came out of a free Methodist church, and there's ongoing conversation. This is a domination that was founded on one of their principles being that women are allowed to ministry. Wow. And here we are, a hundred some odd years later, they just elected their first female bishop. Ooh. And there's an ongoing struggle within the female free Methodist church. And even though we say that we affirm, and I say we because we came from a tradition, we're not in a free Methodist church right now, but it's still very much a part of who we are. There are still not equal opportunities. You don't see equal representation of women and men in ministry. And I was telling my wife, I was like, part of the problem is that people still have this idea. So even though they're free Methodists, if if the denomination tried to appoint or hire a female in that church, would the church thrive, or would the people not accept her as a pastor and lead? So it's like, it's not just about leadership, too. It's about the everyday person who goes to church. Will you accept a woman's leadership? Will you accept a woman as a pastor? So even in the traditions where they, we have this understanding and we endorse women's ministry, there is still that prejudice. Mm-hmm. And we see it We see it from the, you know, the, the, the fall, right? That... You know, there would be this, there was then now this, this competition between men and women that didn't exist before. And, and that there's just women, there's the men have this need to hold on to their power yeah. and to their authority. Um, one of the things I was reading today, just to re- refresh myself in this conversation, was that in that scripture, and I don't remember whether it's the Corinthians or the Timothy, where it says, uh, I, I will not allow women to have authority over men. Yeah. That word that's translated right. authority is actually more properly translated as domineer, which Domin- makes much more sense right. for him to say that. Right. I would not allow a woman to dominate a man. Well, it's also true the other way around, right? Right. So we understand that. It's the domineering versus the partnership. Right. Right. The domineering versus the helpmate. What is that it? we were intended to be for each other. If yeah. you love somebody, why would you want to domineer and control yeah. them? Yes, yeah. that's, 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 that's what pretty right. says. Love yeah. does not seek its own way. Exactly. Way. Yeah. It's not so like, the right. crowd does not boast. Yeah, and so again, like when you look at that, you're like, okay, well then that whole passage takes on a whole different meaning. Yeah. Yes. We understand that there's not a blanket that's perfect. prescription against women in ministry. It's a prescription against domination. Right. And that goes for men and women. Yeah. But look what you did. And let's, let's, you had to go get the meaning of that word because, and I think this is what separates you and I, just what separates us from other pastors. Not saying that all pastors are bad, but there are some that their motivation in their heart is to build their own kingdom. So they're 
they read that and like, oh, don't mention how dark it was. They won't even take it a step further. You know, well, what is what is Paul actually saying? That's just heartbreaking. And we, we talked about this, what, two two episodes ago, yeah. Tommy, where we talked about the danger in the churches that there's been a there has been an instruction that questioning is wrong. That right. Because it's interpreted as doubt or you struggling with your faith. Right. You should not shut it, lest you become a stumbling block to your brother or your sister. But the problem is, is that if you can't question, so and so I recognize that a lot of pastors and a lot of churchgoers they haven't studied this out. No, they simply accept it because that's what they were taught. It's right. a tradition now. Yeah. And that's the problem. That's why that's why John Wesley in the Wesley Colorado, he includes church tradition, but he also includes experience because he understands that even what has become tradition can have roots in error generations right. ago. Right. Generations ago, right? Right. And again, we go back to we go back to those Catholic church roots. Although we understand from scripture that that's obviously started even way before that. But this all of the teachings designed to keep the church and the priesthood in power and control. That's right. Um, and at that time that meant like male power and control, yeah. right? Just as almost the entire world has always struggled with that. Um, the, the dominance and the, the patriarchy um, of of men having all the power and all the control. Right? And and well, this is just coming to me right now, but that, if that is what our flesh does naturally, that convinces me even farther that that would not be God's plan because he always stands in such contrast to what our flesh does. Oh. So he understands that our natural tendency is to, and, and, and I was going to say this, I'm like, let, let's be honest, fellas. If, if, we had, if we had all women, let's say it was the other way around. Go with me on a picture right now. Let's imagine that it was only women in leadership positions. I dare say that there would be more cooperation, unity, collaboration, collaboration dialogue, right, right. open opportunity, mm-hmm. because because we as men are 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 wired to all stuff to build our own kingdom. And we understand that that, that, is, that is from a, a God-given thing that we misuse it. Yeah. We don't build God's kingdom, we build our own kingdom. That's right. We don't build a kingdom in cooperation with our brothers and sisters, we try to build it for ourselves. But the miss, you know, and so, you know, we understand that part of this is also just from the, the nature of men in general. Yeah. Uh, feeds itself and lends itself to this this misinterpretation that then becomes tradition and then you have people who no longer even question it. They just always go along and believe it. They yeah. never they never even bother to Google not one article. Right. Like I've done because I wanted to understand. Because I knew in my heart, in my experience, this can't be true. Something that be God I see God using women in my life and in the lives of people around me. So let me go find out. Most people never take that stuff. That's another issue. Where does that stop? Like, where do people stop, like, having that check? Or something's wrong with what they just said. Because we go find out. We go check that. Because of so many churches that are, whether consciously or unconsciously, they've been designed as kingdoms of men. And so, just like any totalitarian state, Question is against the rules. Yeah. Right? You're not allowed to question, you're not allowed to ask, you're not allowed to challenge the status quo. Otherwise, you're going to be kicked out, alienated, 
right, all these different kinds of things. There are more churches operating in very cultish uh, mannerisms than people would like to admit. So, where, what is the starting point for someone who is struggling with this, for someone who is struggling with this, and someone who is completely and totally against, who is a believer, who is a pastor in ministry, is completely, totally against women in ministry. I liken it to, I don't a black guy or a minority coming in, you know, being in leadership in my church. You know what I'm saying? So what, what would you say to that person? Um, I, the first thing I would say is if you still have questions about this topic, please go and do the research yourselves. Because in, in, in any reliable and honest exegesis of those passages that I've ever found finds those contexts and realizes that in the context of the rest of Scripture and all the other ways, like, because I've read both sides. I'm like, let me see what the people who are still espousing this are saying about these verses. And it's a total, it's a jumbled mess of garbage. It really is. Like, and if you have even a microcosm of a brain to use for yourself, you'll, you'll, it'll be very obvious between the two which one is being honest yeah. and objective and, false, and which one is just ridiculous. Like, some, some of that stuff that they claim is on the hard ones, like, that is such a a hilariously terrible misrepresentation of that verse yeah. to try to support this other verse. You know? And, and so do the study yourself. Don't accept what you've been taught. Ask the questions. Do the studying. Do the exegesis. Look at the Greek yourself and, and come to a conclusion. For those of you who, like my wife, struggled with the call of God on their own lives, I just want you to know, what, what the tradition you've been raised in is not the tradition everyone holds. There's a place for you to be able to be who you're called to be. Yeah. And I, I think one of the most powerful things that can happen is for women who have that call, find a place where you're going to be uh, affirmed, right? where you're going to have an opportunity to be trained and grow, and then, God willing, maybe you'll get an opportunity to go back and to be a piece of the evidence like my wife was to me, like some other women in my life were to me, of this can't possibly be true because look at how God can yeah. yeah. Right. Um, Yo, and, I, and be the one who tends to break those traditions and those mindsets. I'm, I'm grateful that I love being chair and I love having these conversations. And I, uh, I appreciate the honesty, uh, the transparency that you show today, that you show today. Uh, uh, and, and this is a perfect example how Jesse felt and, and probably still feels, but he was like, I'm gonna share how I feel about this whole thing. I I don't disagree with it, but I'm struggling based on what I've read. So it sent him to go research. Um, and I love that, it's a perfect example for you guys to follow. Um, she's going to no. Oh, you're good. Um, <laughs> uh, just walk by the right. So what, what would you say to someone, to a pastor out there that's like, hey, no woman, I'll never hear anything from a woman. Or to the woman A pastor who refuses to acknowledge that women are called, gifted, anointed by God to do the work. I would echo everything that Jesse says, but I would also add on, you know, 
know, we talk a lot about researching Google, and I'm all about that, like using tools. But the best tool you have is the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And so get in your word, pray, ask the Lord to show you the full picture. Uh, I... See, y'all, that's what I'm talking about. See, I was doing all of the, like, man's ideas and, like, wisdom of man. Here she comes, like, look, you the Holy Spirit. <laughs> <laughs> is what I'm talking about. <laughs> I mean, there's nothing wrong with research, but I think that's half of the reason why the church is as fractured as it is. is because we go to every other thing to learn about God but God. Right. We go to every other book. Right. You know, there was a season of my life where the Lord said, don't read any books. Read my word. You read a bunch of books about the word, but you don't read the word. You don't hear directly from exactly. me. Exactly. And that's where that danger comes in with misinterpretation, with us starting to add through things from our own lives and through our own lens. And so ask the Holy Spirit if God, which he does, but until you've had a revelation of that, God has called women. Let God be the one to show yes. you. This is what I meant. This is what this means contextually. This is how you can begin to change. These are the places in your heart that are undealt with, that you have not allowed me to touch in however long. And I want to show you. God will give you his heart and his eyes, but you have to truly desire for to happen. That's good. Um, so I would say that to the pastor. And I would also say, like Jesse said, you know, I am blessed to be in a, um, just in a host of groups and, and relationships and people, with other women pastors. Yes, it does exist. There are powerful, phenomenal women in ministry who are simply looking for men to create the space. There right. was this, uh, this phrase that I learned as, you know, and this is kind of, it's kind of sad almost. I am in a group of women clergy where we have to sit there and talk about how we can affirm each other because there are a lot of spaces where no one else is affirming us. That's right. And so there is something called a benevolent male advocate. So basically brothers who will go before, who will help advocate for us to be in ministry, who will not just advocate but create the space. It's one thing to talk about how you want something, That's good. but it's another thing to actually pull up a chair to the table and say, have a seat. Let me listen. And and before you finish, you can just remind me of something I want to take this back to the Bible like you said. If you want to see a biblical representation of how this happens, look at Paul and how he confronts the rest of the apostles. Yes. The Gentiles. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Don't forget that the apostles, the disciples of Jesus Christ, were dead set on the fact that this gospel was only, only for Jews. Jews. That's right. And Paul had to come and say, look again, the experience. John Wesley didn't pull this out of a hat, mm -hmm. right? And it always mm -hmm. has to be in the context of scripture, but he, we see in scripture, Paul came with, but look and see what God is doing in the Gentiles. That's right. We can't argue with this anymore, guys. God is saving them. God is using them. Here's the gifts of the Spirit being expressed through them. Yes. And so he was a benevolent advocate on behalf of the Gentiles. That's mm -hmm. why God called him. Yeah. And the council, the apostles, were willing to change their mind. Why? Because of the evidence, the experience. They saw so it. Look they can, the you can't deny what you see. Give it a call. And That's right. Fruit. Judge it by its fruit. And that will be evidence that can start to change their mind. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. So the benevolent men's group? No, it's called the benevolent male advocate. So basically, in these groups, we're talking about how there are males that we know will basically secede their space so that a woman can take it. Wow. 
time. It's a need to step up. You know, I've been very, very privileged to serve under pastors who have believed and fiercely advocated for me to be in ministry. But it would be one thing for those pastors to be like, yeah, Jen, I believe you're called and anointed, and then just sit me in a pew every Sunday and never right. look at me. No, these men put me on platforms. They give me opportunities to speak, to teach, to lead others. That's really what we need is we need somebody that's to right. just talk about it but be about that. That's right. That's right. Um, and so, yes, to those pastors who don't believe, please get with the Lord and please create spaces once the Lord gives you the revelation that we are indeed called, that there is no Jew nor Gentile, male nor female, but we've all been called. Thank you. Jesus. Yes. Please create some space. Um, for the women in ministry, oh, man. I don't want to cry because I know what it's like. Mm-hmm. I know what it's like to sit in a room and feel invisible, but mm-hmm. you are called. Yeah. Do not doubt your gift. You are called. Do not doubt your gift. You are mm-hmm. anointed, called, gifted. God has given each of us a gift from his great variety of gifts yes. to yes. use. So if he's called you to teach, teach. If he's called you to lead worship, lead worship. If he's called you to preach, preach. If he's called you to prophesy, prophesy. Mm-hmm. You will never be satisfied. You will never be content. You will never be fulfilled until you live into those passions. Yeah. Until you live out the call that God has called you to. Mm-hmm. And so it doesn't matter what man lays hands on you. It doesn't matter what woman lies hands on you. What matters is that God has called you. And right. really, that's the covering that you need. Mm-hmm. And I say this to women in ministry who are married, unmarried. You know, I'm very blessed to have a husband, but I also sit in spaces where I'm sitting with single women yeah. who don't have a benevolent male advocate. So what I'm saying is that Jesus is your advocate. Right. Okay? That's what Paul said. That's yeah, exactly what Paul said. Advocate. Right. And so you pursue that call no matter who's recognizing you, no matter who has said, yeah, you're called. It doesn't matter. If God's called you, pursue that with all of your heart. Find a local church where they will empower you. Mm-hmm. Not just talk about, but they'll empower you for the work of the ministry. Find yourself a healthy local church that will allow you to grow into your leadership and empower you to be able to do what God's called you to do. Yeah. Because women are called. Women are anointed. I've sat under the ministry of some powerful, amazing women. I would not be in ministry if it weren't for one person. I'm, a, I'm actually name dropped. Okay. Name dropped. Her name is Dr. Joyce Del Rosario. She was my youth pastor when I was in high school. I was wilding out. I was I had a filthy mouth. I was living contrary to the gospel. And this woman loved me. She sat with me. She saw the giftedness of God in me. Do you know that she never let me rest? She always told me, God has called you. And that was the same woman that echoed my grandmother. And so, I mean, this woman has every degree under her name. And yet, she's still struggling to find her way in the patriarchy. It is time to dismantle the patriarchy, recognize that God has equally called men and women. Yes. We're gifted in our own way. That's right. And allow us to lead. And That's so right. Do not give up hope, woman. Do not give up hope. That's right. You're called, you're gifted. Not only that, most importantly, you're loved by God. And that's really where it begins. Mm-hmm. And we can change this world if you if you will just be willing to step into what God's called you to do. I truly believe that this world, our church, everyone around us will look completely different if we're willing to say, you know, it doesn't matter who recognizes me, I'm going to follow the one who called me. That's right. I want to throw, we're going to end with this. I want to throw this challenge out to pastors who are currently pastoring in uh, denominations and traditions that still believe that this this exclusion is real. Um, and as you do, like we said, do get with the Holy Spirit, do the study. As you become convinced yourself, um, I want to challenge you to have the courage to do something about it. I would be 
become a voice of change within your own denomination. That's right. Or because that's right. The reason I say that is because I don't believe this is a minor issue. That's right. Jesus said, "The world will know that you are my disciples by how you love one another." Mm-hmm. And so, to me, this is different than how we deal with sin, that's questions right. of, of same-sex marriage or abortion or all these other. This is how we're treating our own that's brothers right. and sisters, and not just a certain few of this half of them right this is how we're treating half of our our sisters half of the body of Christ mm-hmm. this is not a small issue and so as you become convinced by the word and by God um, that this is true I really uh, I encourage you challenge you to have the boldness to maybe step out of your security step out of your safe place and try to challenge the status quo within your own traditions in your own denominations even um, I know that that's hard for I love that. to do. You have, you have, you have stability. You have, right? You have a salary, and those things might go away. Mm-hmm. But I believe that this is a big enough issue um, because of how many of the, how much of the body it affects, and the fact that this is how we're not loving our own, and therefore damaging the gospel to the world. That I believe that it requires that kind of drastic yep. um, action. Responsibility. Requires action. You can't just hear about the information and not do anything with it. Yeah. You have, they have to do something. We have to do something yeah. with that information. Tommy, there's a person watching. My sister, Audrey Godwin. I love you. Audrey, yep. She has been a mother of the faith to myself. Uh, just a great encouragement. But she said something that I was going to say earlier mm-hmm. and thought about. You know, we talk about these spaces where women can lead. But if you take the church out of the equation, and she commented basically she's dealing with this in a male dominated like career right 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 but in all these other settings you're beginning to see women become ceos women Mm -hmm. take leadership predominant leadership in their companies and businesses now i'm not saying that things are perfect but i'm saying there's a world around us that is recognizing the power of women Mm -hmm. who are capable gifted to lead right so the church should not be the last place we are the last last place place where women are struggling to find their identity i heard on a podcast where the church is 10 years behind always at least that's not being kind on social issues yeah 10 years is a kind investment and so we're beginning to see the rumblings of all these people recognizing the fact that women are the fact that we're having this conversation in 2019 just really upsets me but that's beyond the fact i digress but you're starting to see the world around us career-wise industry-wise begin to say oh you know what women do lead well and they are called yeah please 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 the church has got to become a place that empowers all people it doesn't matter gender it doesn't matter race the church should be the one place where people are being affirmed into their identity and mm-hmm. god called them to be mm-hmm. please church begin to yeah. have this hard conversation not just for us but because if we're called to reach the world there's no way we're going to reach the world if we can't get it together within our own four walls right nobody wants the gospel that we have if this is what it's going to look like What's the point? Exactly. What's the point? The church has got to begin to look inside, has got to begin to do some real hard self-evaluation to see, are we truly taking on the character of Christ? Mm -hmm. Are we truly the bridegroom? Mm -hmm. Or has what we've been doing been more based in our own efforts and our own thoughts and our own preferences? Uh, Because I want to see young women 
rising up behind yeah. me. I want yeah. to see, uh, I want to see many, 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 many people look and be able to say, there's a place for me in mm-hmm. this church mm-hmm. because God's called me. And that's not where we're at now, but I truly believe that's where we can get if we're all, if we're really, really honestly seeking the Lord and willing to ask ourselves the hard questions and be wrong. Yeah, be and wrong. be wrong. Yeah, Amen. it's cool. Thank you. So, I, I don't want to belabor the right. topic, but uh, su- su- suffice it to say that, yeah, I echo what you guys said. It, it's a sad thing that we're talking about this in 2019, that the church has not caught up and, and we're missing half of our body. We're missing. We're functioning at 50%. Yeah. Um, yeah, half is effective. So you guys, we're about to sign off. Jesse is looking fly. Haircut is tight. Beard is on point. <laughs> hey, uh, for those watching this month, uh, you can cut it right there for the actual podcast. Okay. Um, just want to let you guys know we are going to be on live with the podcast on all the major platforms. It's uh, Friday, uh, so that's it's uh, six, seven, or six, seven, something like that. Let me look for sure, but it's so we're going to be putting them out every Friday. Is the sixth? Oh, that's exciting. Um, so on the sixth, we'll be on live. So you can look at it if you missed any of them because there was something we didn't we didn't live mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff coming out in a week. Yep, the face chair. The face chair. All right, you guys. We are out. See you later. Have a blessed weekend. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. Join us next time. Yes, join us next time as we're joined by my brother, Ty Niblack. We'll be talking about false prophets. You don't want to miss it. We'll catch you next time here on The The Faith Faith Chair. Chair.